Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. When did you believe this was actually happening? I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. Was it when Joe Biden took the oath of office 10 minutes early? Was it when the Marine Band struck up Hail to the Chief? It feels a little bit like a time warp where you woke up from a bad dream. Slate's Jim Newell was at the inauguration, and it's even taken him a second to process it. So I'm just only, like, allowing myself to breathe for the first time now. Oh, I know. I feel like I'm going to let myself breathe next week. <laughs> like, it's not real. It's not real. Yeah, I, maybe I'm being, I'm being naive breathing <laughs> now, you know, three hours after the inauguration. Jim was seated right up front, next to the guy with the big drum, marveling at the normalcy of it all, in spite of the half-mile perimeter he had to navigate to get there, and in spite of having to walk through one metal detector after another and scanning a QR code to show he was COVID-free. Some of the members I spoke to there, they all said they they felt safe, although apparently some members were wearing body armor under their, their clothes. Really? Yeah. This strange sense of normalcy layered over bizarre circumstances. It carried over to Joe Biden's speech, too. He talked about the coronavirus and climate change and the need for everyone to work together. I think that kind of message after an election, it can be kind of hackneyed. The way he delivered that speech felt kind of like an urgent need. You know, in the two weeks after there was an attack on the Capitol based on crazy lies from the president, it felt like he was addressing the specific crisis of the moment that had just led to violence. So, yeah, it was kind of a traditional ceremony, but some of these cliches had, you know, the power of the moment behind them. He had this moment where he said, you know, with unity, we can do great things. And watching at home, that was a moment where the camera cut away to Ted Cruz. and. I just couldn't help but wonder, it sounded great, but how realistic is this talk of unity right now? So what I've seen in some some Republican reactions is very nice speech. I like the message, but now it's time to see if he can translate those words into action. And they're very much saying the onus is on um, Biden to unify the country. And it seems, you know... As a congressional reporter, I would say they're setting him up for a fall. I do think that it would be comforting just to have the disagreement be on that level again, though, where it's about, you know, the, the partisan vote breakdowns on a bill for spending on vaccines or unemployment insurance or an, a minimum wage increase. And the divisions aren't about, like, you know, whether you agree with Trump that Stormy Daniels is horse face looking or something like that, you know, <laughs> like I, we're, I'm glad that we're getting back to a uh, sort of realm where hopefully some of these sharp disagreements will be about normal things. Today on the show is normal enough. 
At the inauguration, Joe Biden argued unity is the path forward. But it's still an open question whether he's going to be able to get anything done. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This week, you wrote a piece where you talked about Joe Biden and said he was ever underestimated. And I want to talk about that because he is beginning his presidency and he has a lot of things he wants to achieve. And I think you're right that the whole election feels like an example of Biden being underestimated. He sort of entered quietly, was running behind, and then all of a sudden, here he is. He's the guy. And you could almost see it at the inauguration, too, where I feel like people kind of came in holding their breath. And then he gave a speech where I I think a lot of people came out of it feeling like, oh, that exceeded expectations. It just is so strange to have an election winner where after the election, there seems to be so little focus on them. And the focus is so much more on who lost and how the loser is taking it. And just I think the way we think of the election is less Biden won than Trump lost. And I guess that speaks to Trump's ability to focus all attention on him by being uh, a maniac. <laughs> um, so, But I think the way a lot of Democrats interpreted this election, relative to, say, Obama's election in 08, Obama's election was this thrilling event. We we're going to change the world. Biden's election was more of a relief. Like, we got rid of Trump. We're going to go back to normal. Don't necessarily expect anything. Um, but, I'm, you know, it's over. Thank God. But in a way, it sounds like you're saying Biden benefits from those low expectations. Right. And that's what I'm saying is I think he's just not been... I think people haven't really looked at the potential upsides here. I think, you know, one, he, he has certainly as much experience as anyone. But if you look what's what he has to deal with, you know, the biggest, two biggest priorities are getting rid of the virus and keeping the economy afloat while you are working on that. And I think he just has a good opportunity to achieve both of those. I mean, the vaccines are ready and there's more coming. Um, and he'll be the first president to actually try to have a national plan to get these vaccines distributed. Um, In the meantime, you know, I think he'll, I don't know what the final version of the stimulus or the relief package will look like, but I think they'll get something pretty big through one way or another. And I think that will help. And, you know, maybe it's naive of me. We'll probably all be pulling our hair out as, you know, day by day process of this. But if you think heading into the midterms, never too early to start thinking about those, you know, we could (laughs) see the virus on its way out. Most people vaccinated um, in the economy poised for for liftoff. Like, I, I think it's just a really good opportunity. 
for for him. You said something really smart, I thought, which was you compared the way Biden's coming in with the way Obama came in, which is both of them kind of saddled with these crises. But Obama's crisis was much more complicated to explain to people. It didn't touch them the way the coronavirus is touching every American. And the fixes will touch more people this time around, too. And to me, it was a really interesting point. It just just makes this clear that if Biden does well, it's an opportunity for him. It's an opportunity for the Democratic Party in a way that is just different than the last time around. Biden has a very tangible thing he has to do. He has to put shots in arms. And we can all see how well that's going every day. And he can devote as many resources as he needs to to make sure that happens. And, you know, everyone will know that that happened. If we are able to get rid of the virus completely within his term, then, you know, everyone knows who gets credit for that. Like I said in my piece, I don't want to trivialize how easy it is to, to get everyone vaccinated. Obviously, we've seen... We've seen that we cannot do it. <laughs> right, we've seen that we cannot do it. But part of that, I really do think, is that there's been zero federal leadership. Like Trump really saying it's up to the states, not my problem. We've had no national vaccination plan. And so we've seen, you know, I think if he really does get the Defense Production Act involved and he has um, the army helping to distribute the vaccines, like it seems like that could help things go a long way. And we are getting on better too, you know, we're up to like, I think we're doing about a million doses a day now, which is still not quite good enough, but, um, you know, it's improving. I guess the thing that is Joe Biden's greatest strength to me is also the thing that is his greatest weakness. And you've said, you know, what distinguished him as a candidate was that he had this high capacity for trust and a broad reservoir of goodwill. But it's like, how does he use that moving forward, given that the other party that he's working with has just shown Every, like at every opportunity, has wanted to cut the Democrats off at the knees. Well, I think that by having those characteristics, Biden makes himself more likable than the Republicans. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think if, if it were another um, nominee who maybe was less well known, Republicans would be more openly signaling, even on Inauguration Day, that their goal is to take this person down. I think they'd be more explicit about that. That may that is their goal with Biden. You know, they don't want him to be a successful president. I feel pretty comfortable saying, but I think Biden, by being so well known and so trusted and generally liked, I think makes that that task a little more um, difficult for them. So you see, for instance, like Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden went to church together before inauguration. You see that yeah. as a good sign because McConnell's saying, I respect you enough to do this. I don't, I, I don't, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think that them going to church together means that McConnell's going to be like, you know, uh, I like you, let's do more bills together or something like that. I mean, when I say people trust Biden more, I'm not talking about members of Congress. I'm talking about the public. Like the public is more willing to put their faith into him and, and, you know, not just believe that he's trying to tear the country apart. When we come back, what the newly minted Biden administration is focused on passing 
and how they might do it. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The future of America is in your hands. This is not a movie trailer, and it's not a political ad, but it is a call to action. I'm Mila Atmos, and I'm passionate about unlocking the power of everyday citizens. On our podcast, Future Hindsight, we take big ideas about civic life and democracy and turn them into action items for you and me. Every Thursday, we talk to bold activists and civic innovators to help you understand your power and your power to change the status quo. Find us at futurehindsight.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The first test of Jim's theory that Joe Biden is being underestimated will come pretty quickly. The Biden administration is already mapping out two major pieces of legislation. The first is a stimulus bill, including a round of $1,400 checks and a minimum wage increase to 15 bucks an hour. Jim says the content of this bill, it's important, but what might be more important is the process that's going to be used to get it passed. Because getting another stimulus through the Senate using the regular order, meaning a two-thirds majority to avoid a filibuster, it's probably going to be difficult, maybe impossible. I don't know if there are 10 Republican votes for a $1.9 trillion package like that, especially now that hmm. with a Democrat in office, they're going to rediscover their big concerns about the debt and everything. Um, I mean, one <laughs> example, after inauguration today, um, when I was walking out, I saw Mitt Romney. And, you know, I just asked him a couple of questions about the speech. And he thought, it's a wonderful speech. You know, this is exactly the message we need to hear. Um, he seemed pretty excited about how things had gone. And then I asked him for his thoughts on, on the stimulus package. And he said, well, we can agree to disagree. And I don't think now's the time to be spending any more money. So, <laughs> huh. um, you know. And if Mitt Romney isn't... <laughs> coming aboard. Right. And I mean, I, that, that makes sense. You know, just because he's, he was critical of Trump doesn't mean he's not a fiscal conservative. Um, so I, I, but I think that's going to be the attitude. And so maybe, you know, there might only be a, a few Republican senators in play. So if that doesn't work out, then you have to talk about doing a reconciliation bill, which is kind of a fast track process where measures that are ex explicitly taxing or spending measures can be passed with 50 votes only in the Senate. Reconciliation is an opportunity for the controlling party to pass major legislation with a simple majority, avoiding a filibuster. But reconciliation can only be done under certain circumstances and only once each fiscal year. And I think that's Democrats will have a couple weeks of politeness, maybe, but then they'll then they'll move to that process. And it is. It, yeah, it stops short of getting rid of the filibuster. Because if you get rid of the filibuster, then you can pass any type of legislation you want with 50 votes. But I don't think Democrats have the votes to do that right now. Would they need more than a majority to get rid of the filibuster? No, under the like, quote unquote, nuclear option, which is their this way of sort of eliminating a Senate rule by, by setting a new precedent, 
you can just do it by a simple majority. But you think they don't even have a simple majority because so many Democrats are still like, oh, that feels scary. No, I mean, they have um, Joe Manchin, West Virginia senator, said a couple months ago, reiterated that under no circumstances will he ever get rid of the filibuster. Um, and I don't, you know, then that doesn't even count some of the other centrist Democrats. You know, you're going you're gonna to have two Democrats from Arizona and two from Georgia now. And then there may be just some other traditionalists there um, who aren't ready to do that. There's a second bill that's going to put this new administration to the test. It's the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021, which includes an eight-year pathway to citizenship for the undocumented. Jim says he can see why the Biden administration would prioritize this. Similar reform almost passed back in 2013. Yeah, I think, I haven't read all of the details of it, but I, I, I think it's still the same kind of political bargain that they were looking at in 2013 and before that in 2006, 2007, where Democrats want a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants already here. I'm not sure what that number is right now, um, 11 million, 12 million. Uh, And Republicans in exchange want enhanced border security. Everyone kind of wants to to come up with the right number of... um, guest worker visas uh, so that everything, so that labor can all be managed legally through the system. Um, That's always been the bargain they're looking at. It almost worked in 2013. You had a bipartisan group in the Senate put together a bill. You had a lot of outside actors working on it. You know, you had the Chamber of Commerce on business's end and AFL-CIO representing Labor's point, um, trying to, you know, hash out the details, and they got a compromise done. It passed the Senate with 67, 68 votes, I think. Pretty much all, I think it was all Democrats and then 16 or 17 Republicans. It would have passed the House if the House had brought it up because there were all Democrats and you would have had enough moderate House Republicans who would have voted for it. But Boehner never brought it up because they were threatening to overthrow him from the Speaker's position if he did so. He did not have the will of his conference on that. So when I look ahead to this year, it looks on paper like it could be the right coalition because Biden could put forward a roughly similar idea. You could still get a bipartisan group in the Senate and you have Democrats controlling the House so you could actually pass it. But if you look at the context of that 2013 bill, This was right after the GOP had released that autopsy, that RNC autopsy of why they lost the 2012 election. Which said that they had to appeal to more diverse constituencies. Yeah, and they had to soften their tone on immigration. And Hmm. so that was kind of the uh, operative and donor class thinking on this. Um, But then Trump won in 2016 by going very hard on immigration. So I just don't think that Republicans in the Senate are going to have the will to, to go along with a democratic immigration bill enough to move it. Well, so it'll be an interesting temperature check. Yeah, it's a very, it'll be an interesting temperature check and it'll be, um, it'll be curious to see, you know, if it just goes down on party lines. You know, I know the 2013 one, that was something where Rubio was one of the big architects of it and it really hurt his chances running for president in 2016 in the primary. Hmm. Um, so I wonder if, you know, if they're willing to, to take the plunge again, or if they they feel like things have just changed enough now that it's not, it's not worth um, the effort. 
I mean, I just wonder, there's so many former Obama, former Clinton folks in Biden's staff. And these are folks who were operating maybe in a different political reality than we're in now. And I I wonder what you're looking for to see if they're doing what actually needs to be done or if they've learned the lessons of the years past. Yeah, I mean, all the signs have been really um, promising that they've learned those lessons. You've heard Joe Biden himself say, the first bill we're going to do is going to be expensive and we're going to pay for it with deficit financing. I mean, they're, you know, they're not worried about these optics of not having every single dollar paid for in, in new legislation they create. And that is a big lesson learning from the Obama years. I think a lot of them regret that the stimulus they passed in 2009 was maybe a half or a third of what it needed to be um, to help get the economy going again. And I think if you look at Biden's $1.9 trillion plan, which is phase one of his plan, I think a lot of them think this is a makeup call for that. So once Republicans, you know, at 1201 on Wednesday, decide that it's time to care about the national debt again, I don't think Democrats are going to buy that as much. I don't think they're going to be so concerned with uh, that argument that a lot of the Republicans, some of them are consistent, but most of them are making in bad faith that it's a Democrat in office, you know, time to not spend any more money. Does it help that Biden's at the end of his career? Like there's so much talk about maybe he won't run for a second term. Is that freeing? Maybe. I mean, it it depends on if he is going to run for a second term, you know? (laughs) And I suspect it's a pretty good chance that he has decided he's not going to run for a second term. But he doesn't want to announce that because then suddenly you lose some of your power. (laughs) Then you have a lot of jockeying in Congress about um, who's going to replace you and you kind of, your authority is diminished right off the bat. So he's, you know, not going to say that. And that'll be interesting to see how that's teased out over the next however many years. Jim Newell, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Jim Newell is Slate's senior politics writer. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Davis Land, Elena Schwartz, and Mary Wilson, with an assist from Franny Kelly. We are led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I am Mary Harris. Tomorrow, you'll find Lizzie O'Leary in this feed with our Friday show, What Next TBD. And I'll be back here next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.